PDA, neurodivergence, and the Perpetually Determined Advocate. I am your Perpetually Determined Advocate, Cassandra. This is a bi-weekly podcast dedicated to raising awareness and acceptance of PDA, or Pathological Demand Avoidance, which is a lesser-known part of the autism spectrum. My hope for this podcast is to provide a place of learning and growth, as well as a platform for PDAers, professionals, parents, family members, and other people with neurodivergence to speak out on this condition as well as others, and providing resources to those who want to learn more. I am still in search of PDAers, medical professionals, and parents of PDA children who want to come share their experience. So if you or someone you know would like to come on and use this platform to tell their story, please contact me at perpetuallydeterminedadvocate at gmail.com. Now, Let's launch into this episode's topic. Okay, so today we are joined by our uh, guest, Adriana, who is going to kind of talk to us a little bit about her experience. Um, Welcome to the podcast, Adriana. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to share my experiences. Um, I am in my mid-30s, and I am in my own journey of figuring out my own neurodivergencies. I am currently with the diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, and disassociative amnesia from childhood sexual abuse that occurred around the age of eight or nine. Um, and I was also born with several, um, many, many sensory sensitivities as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my journey is a little more complicated because I didn't actually embrace the trauma until I was in my early-ish 20s. Um, that's when I began my journey with therapy and was diagnosed by a psychologist. Um, made my journey a little more complicated because I didn't have um, actual memories of the abuse, but I had all of signs and symptoms of it. Um, and so since that um, journey had started, um, I really moved forward and done a lot of healing, but there's a lot that goes with it when you have a diagnosis of PTSD, um, especially when you have it in early childhood that does actually change um, how your brain functions as well. Right. Wow. Um, and so your uh, your diagnosis came about a little bit later. Now, one of the things um, that I, I noticed when in the reading that I've been doing is that um, you know, a lot of the signs, especially with females, it's harder for them to catch things like ADHD or other uh, forms of neurodivergence because, you know, females tend to mask better. Do you feel like that was part of you as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I feel like um, it's interesting now that, you know, I'm in my mid-30s and I know that I'm not the only one going through this particular journey and feeling like I might have ADHD as well. Um, and a lot of people sharing their stories, especially on TikTok right now, mm-hmm. um, where they're, you know, sharing their personal experiences with getting a diagnosis and already having one and what their symptoms are. And I'm like, okay, check, check, check. So I'm in the process of trying to, like, deconstruct and see if that's something that I also have been dealing with. Because um, there is a lot of overlap between trauma and ADHD symptoms. Um, but for sure, as far as, as going through my entire childhood and um, masking to the entire world what I was going through internally mm-hmm. um, with the sensory sensitivities. The mm-hmm. only person that I felt safe 
100% sharing that with was my mom. She was wonderful growing up where it wasn't a big deal to make adjustments. Um, but in any other setting, it was, you know, I didn't want to be perceived as difficult or challenging. Um, and then when the trauma came along, it was very much where I turned into a major people pleaser. Um, and I wanted to keep the status quo and I didn't want to rock the boat and I wanted to feel safe, which is a major pillar of childhood trauma. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, I think we, we've talked previously before, um, before this interview that, you know, the whole, the idea of, of safety is, is a root of so many of these different types of neurodivergences because we had, you know, P, uh, with PDA, that's a big part of it, the, the, that need for control and the anxiety and all of that stems from that need to feel safe. And I mean, that's, that sounds like that's a lot of what you were feeling too. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think most anxiety based um, neurodivergencies or mental illness, um, there's always going to be that root of a need for control of the environment mm -hmm. um, and a need for feeling safe um, and just trying to create whatever sense of safety you can find. And because when you have anxiety, the root of that is constantly in fight or flight or fawn or freeze. Right. And when you can't control what your body is doing in those moments, you're going to do everything you possibly can, um, whether it's the way you react or the way that you set up your environment to stop that from happening. Because in the moment, you can't actually do anything about the way your body is perceiving the threat that you think is there. Absolutely. Um, and, I mean, you mentioned a minute ago, uh, you know, a lot of the things that you're seeing on TikTok. And I know, like, originally this just sort of came out as, you know, just sort of an app for entertainment or whatever. But one of the things that I've noticed is it's become such a great source of information for people to share their experiences and for people, you know, even medical professionals on there talking about, you know, if you have these symptoms, um, you may need to get tested for this. You know, it's been a good way of, of sharing information that way. Oh, absolutely. I found so many um, different communities on there. There's mm -hmm. women health activists, there's mental health activists, there's, um, child ad advocates, um, education advocates. I mean, it's just amazing the different pockets of communities that have developed on this app that it, you can still find those areas where it's entertainment, but it's become a platform where so many people from so many different backgrounds and areas can come together and support each other in an authentic way. And I think it's just, it's wonderful. We're having so many conversations that as a society, I think we need to have for a long time. Absolutely. Um, and it's, I mean, it's, it's amazing what's, uh, and I know some of them, they're supposed to be 60 seconds, but there have been a few that I've seen that have gone over 60 seconds, but it's amazing how much information gets packed into those, those shorter videos. And then of course, I mean, they can do the lives later. Um, one of the things that I do want to talk about with you, um, is your plan for what you're about to be doing. Cause I think it's an absolutely wonderful thing that you're about to start. Oh, okay. Can you, can you tell us about, um, where your your life is taking you next yeah absolutely so i um have been in education i just completed my 13th year and i am planning on transitioning into a different career field um i've absolutely loved the relationships that i've built with my students and the work that i've done um 
but it's time for something else. And so I was really affected over the last few years with the school shootings that have gone on. I was very personally affected by what happened at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. I actually mm-hmm. went to D.C. for the March for Our Lives um, event, and um, it just really woke me up, um, having trauma in my background um, personally. And so I realized that as the stories came out, I wanted to really be one of those people that could jump into a situation like that and do some good in the immediate aftermath. And so I decided that I'm going to start next year my master's program in clinical mental health. Um, I want to specialize in um, childhood and adolescent trauma and eventually get my PsyD um, and become a psychologist who focuses on that as well. Yeah, I I can't, I honestly don't know how to stress it because whenever I first started looking for um, someone for my son to see, um, one of the things that I noticed, not only in trying to locate a doctor, but just in, you know, stuff that I was reading in general, just people who are trained in uh, and specialize in child psychology and child psychiatry, it's just, they're so few and far between. So I really, I I applaud you. It's, uh, it is going to be such a big help for so many people because there is a great need for people who work with children. Thank you. I'm I'm actually very excited about it. I feel like it's a natural progression for me. My bachelor's degree is actually in child development, mm-hmm. and so it's a college-based degree, and so I actually took an alternative route to teaching, but it actually gave me a completely different perspective, and I've always focused on the whole child and the development um, in all aspects, and so for me to just move forward in that kind of direction just feels completely natural to me. So I'm really excited about it and to bring the expertise that I've gathered um, as an educator into that realm and to continue helping um, with uh, children with disabilities as well as I've done as an ESC teacher in the last couple of years as well. Yeah, and I mean, I've I've mentioned previously on, on other um, episodes about how, you know, we are really lucky with my son. He, I mean, we've had some absolutely great teachers. Um, they've been very patient with him, but for someone who has a background in education, um, I think you could really speak to that is the, like the amount of, of stress that's on a teacher. Cause a lot of people are like, well, why, why can't the teacher just work with them more? But can you kind of talk about how thinly stretched teachers are? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. So, um, that's another thing you'll hear on TikTok and um, mm-hmm. I think in general in society right now, we're at a critical junction, but um, in general over the last, I want to say easily 10 years, it's gotten much more challenging. But in general, it's especially for elementary school um, teachers, when you're doing all of the academics for mm-hmm. the most part and you are responsible for um, generally averages around 20 um, individual tiny people yes. and you are responsible for every facet of their well-being mm-hmm. and their academics. Um, and then you have different styles of learning. You have different needs. You have children who have diagnosed um, disabilities. You have ones that need the extra mm-hmm. support who haven't been necessarily diagnosed yet or need extra support. It's a lot on one person's plate. And so the vast majority of us do the very best that we can with the information that we're provided. Um, but it's it's very challenging. And so 
especially when you know, have a situation like we were talking previously before we started recording is that with your son and PDA, as I, you know, listened to your podcast and, and started doing a little bit of reading myself, like we talked about, I haven't heard of it before mm-hmm. um, I found you. And so it's really hard as an educator when you find out about something that you've never heard of before. Right. And, um, you know, good educators will want to learn more. But it's very challenging when you don't have the information and you actually might be inadvertently doing more harm than good just because the information and the training isn't there. So that's why I, you know, I've applauded you before. I think it's wonderful that you're such a strong parent advocate for your son and so many others because that information is invaluable for creating the right environment for those children. Yeah, I mean, I. one of the things that I really, I really want to see is PDA put into the DSM in the future because I think once they get it in the DSM then there will be they can have PDA specific accommodations for the schools Um, because I mean if you try to treat PDA with some of the traditional um, autism approaches it it doesn't actually it doesn't always work the two don't always um, work together very well and I think that plays a lot to what you were just saying about you know, sometimes you can have good intentions, but it ends up doing more harm than good because you're using the wrong techniques. Um, yeah, I would also assume that they're they're approaching it with certain behavioral techniques as yes. well for, um, you know, well-researched, um, very proven effective um, behavioral interventions, but that wouldn't necessarily work with PDA because right. it's not your typical um, behavioral situation. And so, you know, that's not going to work either. Most definitely. Um, and we've we've seen that, too. Um, you know, there have been a couple times when, you know, people are like, oh, well, we just, you know, you need to take a more authoritative approach. And you can't, you cannot, that doesn't always work with PDA because it's it's not an issue of won't, it's an issue of can't. Like, they're they're kind of hitting a brick wall that they can't go through because their brain won't let them. They're, they're kind of in that shutdown. You know, they very much hit that fight, flight, freeze, fawn type of thing um, whenever the meltdowns happen and I mean it can escalate quickly yeah and you can find that in autistic children as well Mm -hmm. the typically diagnosed autistic children that are but we do talk about it as a spectrum Mm -hmm. Um, absolutely yeah so you can see why it would be considered part of that umbrella so you know bravo to you to you know advocating for it and getting the word out there I absolutely agree with you that it needs to definitely be um, researched and investigated to um, to be you know really looked at closely to be looked at for diagnostic criteria in the DSM. Absolutely. Now, um, with was there something specific that sort of flagged you to pursue the uh, the potential for ADHD or was that just something that sort of came about organically while you were uh, going through therapy? Um, no, it's recent actually. Um, I think just in my experiences through life and there's been traumas since the childhood trauma, um, I'm just naturally a resilient individual and um I've learned a lot of tools through therapy and so I just naturally adapt to things you know I do the things that I'm supposed to in therapy and I process the emotions but um I don't dwell I just adapt and and do the best I can and apparently that's something that I've been doing for a very long time and so individual things don't necessarily pop out 
as, oh, I should take a closer look at this. Right. But having listened to so many individuals, especially women my age for my generation on TikTok talking about these things, and I'm like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm pursuing it now is because I'm about to, you know, enter into a grad program. Right. And after teaching for so many years, especially in ESC, I know how important accommodations are. And Absolutely. so for me personally, it's two-pronged. If I need accommodations to be successful in grad school, I'd like to be able to have the information necessary to have those. Mm-hmm. And B, the second one for me is also just kind of better understanding myself in my own journey and yeah. figuring out, okay, what is trauma-based mm-hmm. and what might be ADHD-based if that's even possible because they can be so intertwined and overlapped. So that's just for my own understanding of how my brain works, which is something that I've wanted my whole life. Um, it's a constant journey for me. Absolutely. And I think that that's a very important thing that you just said right there is, you know, very often when people get older, you know, into their thirties and forties and, um, you know, they, they go through and they're like, well, maybe I should get diagnosed. And people are like, why are you worried about it now? You know, you're at this age. Why are you even worried about a diagnosis? But I think, in order to be really and truly like good with our own mental health and not lashing out at ourselves, right? Because everybody has that nasty inner voice. And if you have this diagnosis, no, it doesn't fix anything, but it does kind of give you that torch in the darkness that I mentioned in previous episodes. Like that tells you, okay, this isn't something, this is something that is completely out of my control. This is a part of how my brain works. And it's something I need to stop beating myself up for. And I think that's really important because that tells you the tools you need to be the most successful version of yourself. Oh, absolutely. And I definitely had that that moment when I was diagnosed with the PTSD and the dissociative amnesia, mm-hmm. um, which is special in and of itself because that doesn't usually last long term. Right. Uh, so for me, having those moments solidified and that diagnosis, like, nope, you're not crazy. This right. is real let's work on it, um, was definitely like fog clearing, torch in the darkness moment. And if I can have that again, to help me understand. Um, and honestly, in the last few years, it's much more clear that there's other struggles that I didn't notice. Um, mm-hmm. In 2018, unfortunately, I lost my father to cancer. And my whole world flipped upside down. Right. And then, of course, 2020, we started the pandemic. And what I've noticed through, you know, the last almost three years is a lot of the systems that I've built in place over the years and a lot of the coping mechanisms that I've created are gone. Mm-hmm. And so I'm struggling with things that I didn't really struggle with before. Right. And it's not the easiest thing to rebuild those systems that you've taken your whole life to figure out. Um, and so I'm noticing things that are creating more challenges for me. And if there's something out there that can help me, yes. I'm all for it. Yeah. And I think I really I'm I'm glad to see um, society as a whole moving towards, you know, valuing mental health more and, and removing that stigma from, you know, people who struggle with mental health, because I think that's that's a really important part. It's hard enough to have. I mean, because I have, you know, I struggle with anxiety and depression and, you know, it's hard enough to have those issues without also then being shamed by society for having those issues that are completely out of your control. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's the same with, with various different types of neurodivergence. I mean, people, 
you know, especially those who are able to maybe mask it or go undiagnosed, you know, there's these things are out of their control and and then they're getting shamed for it. And so. I absolutely agree. I've Mm -hmm. been a huge proponent of advocacy for taking away the taboo. Um, It's okay that we're different. Mm -hmm. Um, It definitely goes into my advocacy for children um, that I've had my entire career. Um, It's okay that we're different. It's okay that we learn different. It's okay that we see the world different. Um, Honestly, if we were all the same, it would be incredibly boring. Um, But it's, it's more than that. It's, it's understanding that just because someone's different doesn't mean they're of any less value. It doesn't mean that they, just because they maybe operate differently, it doesn't mean that they can't function and contribute the same as somebody who's quote unquote normal. Um, you know, we all have different gifts and they come in different ways. Um, I just think that I'm a huge proponent of therapy in general. Mm-hmm. It's done wonders for me. I can't stress that enough. I think anybody with a neurodivergence or anybody with a, um, a mental illness of any kind can, if they find the right therapist, the right pairing can make huge strides in their life. Like for me, um, I know initially when we talked about doing this, you asked if I wanted to be anonymous. I was like, I have no shame. Not mm-hmm. anymore. Um, and that's purely because of the work that I've done in therapy Mm -hmm. I have absolutely nothing attached to it anymore it wasn't I was seven or eight like it had nothing to do with me I was completely taken advantage of right I can't hold on to that for the rest of my life um well I mean I could I don't anymore because of the help that I've received yeah I and that's I mean I think that's you know, another part that goes into that is, you know, that just accepting the, you know, some things like that when, whenever things like that happen, um, you know, therapy is such a, is such a good way to help process that for sure. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of hard work. Yes. It, take, it takes bravery, but in the long run, my life is so much better. Right. So I can't, I can't advocate for it enough, honestly. Yeah, I mean, like, that's the other thing, too, is, you know, whenever I put out the message and whenever I put out the, the message on social media saying, you know, if anybody wants to, to come on and talk about it, um, you know, I had people who were like, yeah, absolutely, I'll come tell my story. And I mean, I, you mentioned bravery, but that, I mean, it's a really brave thing because, I mean, you're laying your, you know, the vulnerable side of yourself, you're laying, you know, your, um, all of what's going on with you out there for, I mean, this is public. Anyone can hear this. And I think that just, that really speaks to that bravery itself, that courage of saying, yeah, this is my story and I'm putting it out there because it might help somebody else. And I really just, I think that's awesome. Well, thank you. That's exactly why I'm doing it because I know what it feels like to be in the before part Mm -hmm. when the shame is still there and the anxiety is still there and the not knowing which way is up. Um, that feeling and to know that there are people on the other side, um, is so important. Mm -hmm. So I feel like if I can just be that one beacon for one person and it makes it all worth it, there's, there's nothing to be afraid of. Yes. Right. And that's, I mean, that's, that's an amazing, 
being able to to offer that is I mean it's just such an amazing gift that you're giving people and and what you're about to be doing too I mean that's thank you it's it's really going to make such a huge difference because there's such a need for people who work with children especially like not even just people who work with children in general but people who can work with that childhood trauma um yeah and having experienced it too um I think we've we've mentioned previously we talked previously um having experienced that too that kind of gives you an edge and, and a way to, you know how better to approach these kids because you've experienced it. Yeah, I've had that experience while teaching. Um, you come across it a lot more than maybe a lot of people realize. Um, I spent most of my career teaching in um, Title I and lower income areas, and there's a lot of um, trauma that can come with poverty um, and other um, situations, and um, it just helps you connect on a different level yes. um, and approach things in a different way. Um, not better or worse, just different. Right. Um, and so I, I definitely look at it as something that is a, a positive. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to making that impact in a different avenue. Well, I definitely think you're going to. Um, Thank you so much for coming on and for, you know, telling us your story and um, everything and, you know, best of luck to you and your exploits as you uh, go into graduate school. That's a a massive undertaking. And um, but I really I wish you all the best. And thank you so much for coming on, Adriana. Thank you so much, Cassandra, and all the best to you and your son and your family. I know um, you have many, many days of positive. experiences and growth ahead of you. Oh, thank you. As always, you can email me with any questions, comments, constructive criticism, or concerns at perpetuallydeterminedadvocate at gmail.com. And until next time, remember, in a world where you can be anything, be kind.